Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We want to look in the Word of God today to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we will read 1 through 28. 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 through 28. Let me just set a little bit of the tone before we even read the passage. Judges has come to a close. That was a, that was a difficult time for the people of God. It says that people did that which was right in their own eyes, and all you got to do is turn on the news and you can see exactly what happens when people do whatever's right in their own eyes. We see it all the time. We didn't invent the idea. It's an ancient rebellion that we still deal with today. We have two books named Samuel. We're not sure who wrote them, but 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel at one time were one book. They weren't divided into two books until the Hebrew was translated into Greek. We call that the Septuagint. But until it was translated into Greek about 250 years before Christ, this was one book. Several books in the Old Testament were that way. 1 Samuel is going to cover about 100 years from about 1100 B.C. to about 1000 B.C. But this is a time of transition. And let me try to help you uh, to understand some of that. We have the tribes and all of that, and we have 12 of them, but... Boy, this coalition's hard to keep, it's hard to keep it together. They're in the promised land, but just remember, Jerusalem means very little right now. David's not even born yet, and, and so when he becomes king and he rules over the whole kingdom, he will conquer Jerusalem, take it away from the Jebusites, and that basically will be the capital for God's people from then on. But for now, they show up, they're in the promised land, they have a tabernacle. The tabernacle is the temple, but the mobile version. It's the one they carried around with them. So what are they going to do with it? They're not in Jerusalem. So they go to a place called Shiloh, or as we would say in the English, Shiloh. And they the, the tabernacle would stay in this little place called Shiloh for 300 years. Uh, it would remain there, and then, of course, later uh, the temple would be built. And boy, uh, I tell you, if you just went ahead hundreds of years, you'd hear the prophet Jeremiah when he tells God's people that, yeah, you got a really great temple and all of that, and this is years after it was built. But he said, I wish you would go back to Shiloh. He says, God wishes you would just get back to the simple things. When you just met and the place meant very little, the location and the awe and wonder and grandeur of the great temple and all of that meant nothing. But you had my presence when you were worshiping me there uh, in the tabernacle at Shiloh. The word Shiloh means giver of peace, and there is a prophecy about the word Shiloh or Shiloh from 
Genesis 49.10. Just out of the blue, we hear that the scepter or the leader, the scepter was the thing the king would hold in his hand. That's what gave him his authority. That was the stripes on his sleeves. That was the, the scrambled eggs on his hat if you were in the navy. It, 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 was, it gave him the authority when he held it in his hand. And God said the scepter would not leave the house of Judah until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh means giver of peace. And of course, they're going to have a king. And it's the first one is going to be named Saul. And he's not from Judah. But God didn't really want him to be king. We have a conflict here with God's ultimate will and God's permissive will. He allows it to happen. But in 1 Samuel 8, 7, uh, of course, later on, God says to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they have to say to you. For they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king. So Saul became king, but he wasn't from Judah. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. So he was somewhat illegitimate from the very start. And of course, he lives and he dies, and then later David will come to the throne. Now, let's go back then and read our passage. Before Samuel is ever born, his mother is praying to God for a child. Let's read together verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, there was a certain man uh, from Ramathaim Zaphim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son, excuse me, of Elihu, the son of Tahu, the son of Zuth. Y'all ever hear from Zuth anymore? I don't know. I think he's at CIT teaching or something. I, I don't, don't see him that much. Old Zuth. And it says Elkanah was an Ephraimite. Now, just for ha-has, let me tell you this. Since we know Samuel's going to be a priest, this should raise a red flag. And I, I know it's not real obvious, so I'll just raise the red flag for us. He's not from the tribe of Levi. If he's not from the tribe of Levi, how can he be a priest? Well, here's a little lesson for us. If you were from that particular geographical area, somewhere in the area of what would later become Bethlehem, you were called an Ephraimite. And it was not a genealogical designation, it was a geographical one. Because if you do go on and you read in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, it will tell you that Elkanah and Samuel and Samuel's sons were all descendants from the tribe of Levi. I just wanted to clear that up. I didn't want anybody to get up and walk out and say, that's heresy, I'm leaving Verse 2, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah 
sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. When you sacrificed at the tabernacle or the temple, if you were sacrificing for sin, you got none of the animal back. But if you were sacrificing a sacrifice of thanksgiving, then you got a portion of the meat back to you that you could take home and provide for your family. Verse 6, her rival, this is Peninnah, her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. She's married, they're both wives uh, of Elkanah, or Elkanah, and, and she is picking at, at poor Hannah. And it happened year after year, and as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. And then Elkanah, or Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was greatly distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. This Nazar is the word here for this kind of commitment. Nazarite was a vow that you could take. You would take a Nazarite vow to never touch strong drink, never touch a dead body, and to never cut your hair. So if some of you guys or parents want you to get a haircut, just tell them you're a Nazarite. Didn't work for me, but it might you. And that came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. And as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit and I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as, worth, as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. 
And then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. God gave you a son. You had to go to the tabernacle and take him something to thank him for the son. But Hannah did not go up, for she had said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him, only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the son was young. Just so much in the passage we won't have time for. But they could have brought a much smaller gift than this calf. God would have accepted a dove offering. He would have accepted several offerings for this type of thanksgiving. But no, she's so happy. She's so grateful. She brought the bull, buddy. And they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. I want to share with you today some things we need to teach our children. I'm not going to do a lot of introduction because we've already talked about the passage some, but I got to looking at this passage sometime back and thinking about baby dedication, and I don't always try to get all those things to match up. I try to always just preach whatever God puts on my heart. But when I began to look at this passage, I began to see some things that went on here that I, I think we need to teach our children. And I know we've had a lot going on today, so I will try to get through these uh, as quickly as I can. But I, I just want to share with you a list of things that I see in this passage that I think parents desperately need to teach their children. Little Sully needs to learn it. Little Jack needs to learn it. Uh, uh, little Mike here is still learning them. So things we need to teach our children. Number one, we need to teach them about life. Teach them about life. And I would say this. If you look at verse 2 and you see Peninnah, who is blessed with children, and then you see Hannah, and she is not blessed with children. And Peninnah has a terrible attitude about the whole thing anyway. I can just tell you, the first thing we really have to teach our children is life is not fair. If you're expecting things to just always work out in your favor, then you're going to be disappointed. Life doesn't always reward those who are faithful, and life does not always curse those who shake their fist at God. We wish that it would happen, but sometimes you see it all the time, and we wonder and we look at God and go, God, how in the world can this be? How could that person 
of all people get sick and, and have a disease like that. He's such a great person, such a sweet man of God, or, or such a great woman of prayer and loves the Lord with all of her heart. And, and yet there's so many in this world that enjoy great health and great wealth and it seems they have all the luck in the world and they're some of the sorriest, most ungodly people that you will ever meet. Well, I can tell you, we need to teach our kids life is not fair. Life is not fair. And I know you can pitch a fit at the Little League games and try to get the ref maybe to swing your way, but there will come a time you won't be able to do that for your child, friend. There's going to be some calls that won't go their way, and you won't be able to do anything at all about it. We have to teach our kids that we live in a fallen world because sin entered into this world. There was a time that we had no knowledge of good and evil, but as Adam and Eve representing all of us in humanity, as they sinned against God, humanity has fallen, and this earth in this world is cursed. And, and I can just tell you, it just, it just amazes me sometimes when I look around and and I try to come up with an answer, and, and the answer that keeps coming back to me so many times is we live in a fallen and sin-cursed world. And sometimes that's all I know to say. I, I, I think about the family. I, I won't mention their names, but a lot of you know exactly who they are. I try to think of what I would say to that mother a few years ago that, Watched her two sons burn to death in a car wreck. It was here in the county. I, 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 man, I, I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't know that I got some really cool verse that would, would, would just fit right in there. And I, I, I'm just telling you, I, all I know to say, if, if she were to ask me, how in the world can this happen? How in the world can something so horrible happen? All I can say is that we live in a world where horrible things happen. Some of them are accidents. Some of them are, are sicknesses and diseases and things of that nature that happen from time to time. And I know a lot of you, you have been through some of that, and I have been through some of that, and we might not always understand it. And sometimes about all we have to go on is we live in a fallen world, and bad things happen. And we can't just blame everything on God that we don't understand. We can't hold him guilty just because we can't wrap our mind around it. He is sovereign. And we have to just let some things be taken care of by him and know that one day he will get glory from it no matter what it is. Terrible answer maybe. Might not bring you a lot of comfort, but it's the best that I have. Number two, we need to teach them not only about life, but about people. Better teach your kids about us. We are something else. <laughs> Number one, we can be immoral. If you look at verse three, it talks about Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas. It doesn't say anything bad about them, but boy, it could have. And from now on, that's all you're going to hear about these two is bad things. Eli did not discipline his sons. And Hophni and Phineas were wicked. As a matter of fact, if you remember when the Philistines later on would defeat uh, the Israelites, 
And, 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 and Phineas and, and Hophna had gone off and went and got the Ark of the Covenant and put it at the front of the battle thinking, okay, if we're losing this battle, if we put the Ark of the Covenant there, that'll represent the presence of God and, and we can defeat the Philistines. And that's when they found out, well, we've got a really nice relic that, that Indiana Jones would love to get his hands on, but we don't have a God. There was no presence in that. There was no power in that. And they lost the battle anyway. And these two boys were killed. And then when their dad, who was the high priest, Eli, heard it, he falls backwards and breaks his neck. And he dies. And about that time, Phineas's wife has a baby. And I know a lot of you remember his name. It was Ichabod. And Ichabod means no glory because she said from the house of Israel, the glory of God has departed. These boys were wicked. And just to tell you how life turns out, Eli wasn't a very good example. But Samuel was. And would you like to know how his boys turned out? <laughs> just like Hophni and Phinehas. See how life works? It didn't turn out any better. Matter of fact, when Samuel gets near to the end of his life, he wants to allow those boys to uh, also be judges over Israel because Samuel was the last. He was the final judge that Israel had. But then he found out they were unworthy of it, that they were taking bribes and they had perverted justice and, and, and they were trying to be judges that had a crooked heart and a wicked mind. And they weren't faithful to God. We can be immoral. We need to teach our kids that. People can be immoral. We can also be intolerable. Her rival, Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, she was pro provoking Hannah. I mean, how mean can you be? To provoke her into every year. And every time Hannah would, would go up to worship uh, she would have to hear it from her husband's other wife about how I got children and I provided him with kids and, and you can't. And, and boy, it just irritated her and it just, just uh, was a goading. It exasperated her. Just no sense in it. And I think it's interesting that where it happened every time was at the place where you come and you worship God. When they would go to the temple and and boy, poor old Hannah would be there praying, or when they would go to the tabernacle and Hannah would be praying, Penn and I would make fun of her. And, and I, I think probably we need to teach our kids that sometimes you might come to the place of worship and get your feelings hurt unnecessarily because, boy, I can tell you it's sad to say it, and I hate to say it, but church can be one of the places where you can meet some of the meanest people you ever saw in your life. I used to run with kind of a rowdy butch many, many years ago. First church I pastored, boy, was so awesome. Man, alive. I loved them. They loved me. Good Lord, have mercy. I, I know. I don't know why either, but boy, they did. We had a great church, and, and I left one that we had started. And, and I'll just be honest with you. 
it was a bigger church, and I think I had that in my mind, and, and I was kind of feeling like, man, it's maybe a time to kind of step it up a little bit, and got a big church in another county trying to call me and all of that, and I can tell you, all of that played a role in it, and God let me just go right on, and in my second church, I'll tell you something, friend, well, I'd met a few mean people in my life, but the meanest people I ever met in my life went to that church every Sunday. We can be intolerable. There's a lot of gossiping. There's a lot of backbiting. There's a lot of minding other people's business. I'm telling you, Cornerstone, we have to commit before God that we will not allow that. This should be a place where people can come and they can worship God. And yes, there might be confrontation. And yes, there may be accountability. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people that just needle each other and mind each other's business and, and disguise their gossip as prayer requests. Well, I, I, I just called you because I, I, well, I knew you wouldn't tell anybody. And I just want you to be praying about this. Man, I'm old throw up if I don't stop talking about it. At least just say, hey, I got a juicy hunk of gossip and I know I ought not to be telling anybody this and I know it's none of my business. But I'm weak and I can't help it because it feels so good to know something and I know that I can tell you, and I know you tell me you won't tell anybody, but I know by Sunday there'll be ten more people who knows about it because I told you, and you got somebody you tell because you know they won't tell anybody. We can't tolerate that. This is not the place. Happened year after year, verse 7. Teach our kids we can be as people intolerable and moral. We can also be insensitive. Elkanah, her husband, man, he did really love her. But listen to what he said in verse 8. Why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? And then he says it, guys. Guys, listen to me. He says, am I not better to you than ten sons? Isn't it great to know, guys, that saying about the dumbest thing possible to your wife was not invented by us. Am I not better than ten sons? Like she was going to go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Honey, I'm sorry. Am I been crashing your day by looking sad? Well, of course you mean more to me than ten sons. He looks at her, and he honestly, I think, guys, he's like us. He's trying to comfort her. But it's just like when you look at your wife and go, you know, honey, you really, you really look good. You look sharp today. And, and, and you're, you're in there, man. You've you got it going on. And then you go, I, I know a lot of women your age that don't look near that good. See, just if God had stopped your heart just a second sooner, you could have died and she'd have been in love. Now she's thinking about stopping it. 
When she asks you questions, men like, does this dress make me look fat? I'm, let me tell you what to do. Just turn around and dive through a window. Pretend you are having some kind of seizure. But don't you dare answer that question. I know he meant well. We need to teach our kids about people. Sometimes they may not even mean it. But us people, we can be really insensitive. And number four, last of all, we can be ignorant. We can really be ignorant. Eli looked at her and thought she was drunk. That's what you call presumption. It says he was watching her mouth. He should have been watching his mouth. But he looks at her and he says, I see your mouth over there moving. I don't hear words. Are you drunk? And I mean, he, and he just jumps right dead on in the middle of it. Put away your wine. He didn't ask, wait on an answer or response. He just presumed that he knew exactly what was going on with her. Sometimes people, we can be the same way. Let's teach our kids about life, about people. And let's teach our kids, number three, about themselves. Let me tell you one thing about every one of you, especially you younger folks. I want you to hear this. First of all, God had a plan. You are not an accident. You're not an accident. I see families sometimes, they got like three or four teenagers, and then they got one little bitty one. <laughs> you know what happened. They're like, well, I wasn't planning on that one. You weren't. God was. God was. Verse 27, for this boy I prayed. That's why he's here. I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition which I ask of him. You are not an accident. And every child that has ever been born onto this earth or conceived on this earth, I'm telling you, it was planned by God. It breaks my heart. I looked it up again. I'd seen it recently, but I saw an updated version of it. But Iceland now brags that they have all but eliminated Down syndrome in that country. It's a small country, but they almost have down, no more Down syndrome. The sad part is how they got that way. They kill them all before they're born. I didn't realize this. We kill 67% of ours here in America. And that was as of 2011. I'll bet you we kill a greater percentage of them now. We check that fetus and we do all those tests and even in America right now if it's not the right sex or oh this child could have down syndrome or this child could have this or that. Let me tell you it's called eugenics and it was really popular in Germany back in the 1930s and 40s. There's no other way to look at it. I, I, I'm so thankful for the Supreme Court ruling this week. I praise God for that. I really do. But I will tell you this. I, my faith's not in the Supreme Court because now God's got to change people's hearts and minds. And I'll tell you, has it not been just incredible to watch the news and see how rabid people are about being able to kill their own child? They're burning down buildings. They're attacking people. One now is uh, 
tried to kill a policeman in LA, I think, last night. It's just, it's, it's crazy what these people are 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 doing. It's just incredible to me. I, I'm I'm telling you something, and we we asked for it. We started teaching evolution so many years ago, and 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 let me just tell you something about evolution. It's not a science. It is a philosophy. It is a philosophical theory about life and where it leads to is there's no purpose in life no meaning in life a glob of cells got together and and did this that or the other there is no intention about it there's no intelligent design with it or any of that that's where evolution has led us and now we are reaping the sins of teaching for so many years that there really is no purpose in life Boy, that is a lie from hell, friend. God plans every one of us. Oh, I've had people say things to me like, you might not agree, I, I, I don't care. Say to me like, well, what if your daughter had been raped? What about abortion then, huh? They just thought they backed me in a corner. I said, well, since the daddy's already going to be dead, there's no sense in us killing my grandchild to try to make it right. I know it would be tough. It would be difficult, and I'm glad I've not walked that road. And for people who have, I have all the sympathy in the world, but I'm going to tell you, God Almighty has a plan for every little life he puts on this earth, friend. Every little life. I have a grandson who has some measure of Asperger's. and He's grown up and had some different issues. Now he's like, I don't know. He's brilliant. He's so smart. He still has times when noises will irritate him or whatever, but that kid is like, well, he's like Elon Musk because he had Asperger's too, (laughs) okay? So we got big hopes for retiring early. They're all resting on Malachi. I've been pointing the moon out to him. Wouldn't you like to go up there? Got some way you think you might get there? little fellow was with us this week. They came here at Bible school, saddled up beside his papa on the couch this week, looked over at me and said, Papa, I wish you had both your hands. That's how that little heart and that little fellow thinks. You want to tell me that was a mistake? You want to tell me there was a way we could have avoided that? Are you kidding? Are you out of your mind? I'm just telling you right now, I don't care if it gets me fired. I have no more respect for people who are willing to abort children than I do Pol Pot. Not a bit. I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of dancing around it. We are killing children. You can call it women's reproductive health all you want to. But remember what I've always said about Confucius. He said 500 years before Christ, when words lose their meaning, people lose their lives. 
Change the name all you want. So sad. God has a plan. He also has a purpose. Verse 28 says, I've dedicated this child to the Lord. I'm going to move on. I'm going to dedicate this child to the Lord. As long as he lives, there won't be a razor come to his head and all of that. Uh, she says in verse 11, it's obvious. It'll be obvious. They'll, people will be able to look at this child. He won't be some like, a, you know, you couldn't be a secret Nazarite. It showed. And when you make a vow to God and you give yourself totally to God, it shows. God's got a purpose and he's got a plan for every single life. Teach them about life. Teach them about people. Teach them about themselves. And then last of all, let's make sure we teach them about God. Three things quickly. One, his sovereignty. Now verse 27 talks about God opening her womb. But verse 5 said God had closed her womb. You see, God had done both. It, it, it wasn't like something had happened that was beyond God's control and suddenly he mustered up a, enough omnipotence to address it. No, he closed her womb. And she prayed and she cried out to God and it says they went up every year and they prayed and cried out to God and she kept praying and crying out to God and the answer it seemed was no for a long time and then finally after persisting in prayer God answered her prayer he is the one that closes wombs he is the one that opens wombs he is the one who is in charge he does as he chooses Sovereignty, there's a lot of definitions for it. One of them I like is there are no external influences on God. He does whatever He likes, however He likes, whenever He likes. Totally sovereign. Number two is compassion. In verse 20, she had prayed and prayed. And finally in due time, Hannah had conceived and she gave birth to a son Named him Samuel. You remember the Shema, that hero Israel. I read it in the baby dedication service today. The word Samuel comes from that word. Shema means to hear. And Samuel means God hears. Actually, his mother's name, Hannah, means grace. But God hears. He heard what she had to say. Of all the things in the world that God's got to do, and sometimes I feel like I'm really bothering Him, maybe. Really, I think some of the things that I worry about are trivial. And if you think about it, what would we worry about that wouldn't be trivial to God? I mean, God can do whatever God wants to do. And, and we'll close with that in a second. But, but sometimes it's almost like, God, why would you even care? And, and sometimes it's, I even pray when I'm really broken about something. Man, when I, they told me I had cancer, I can tell you, I, I spent some time on my knees saying, God, I'm, I'm, I know, Lord, that I don't deserve for you to hear me, but I ask you for healing, God. I pray for healing, God. I ask you, Father, to, to, to take this away, and, and, and he did. He used a surgeon to do it, but man... 
when it was all over with that, that I was cancer free. There's so many people that, that cannot say that. But had he done nothing, I'm telling you, he still would be God. He still would be with me. And had he chose to call me home, then I would be with him. I can just tell you, we need to teach our kids that God is sovereign. God is compassionate. Suicide rate among younger people this, nowadays is incredible. And I think a lot of kids get to the place in their life. Maybe if they had just waited an hour, they would have totally changed their mind. But they get to a place in their life somewhere where it's like just nothing seems to matter. Well, let me just tell you right now, kids, you matter to God. He has a plan for your life. He's sovereign. He's compassionate. Last of all, we need to teach him about his ability. This is the first time in Scripture that God is referred to as the Lord of hosts. It occurs 261 times in the Old Testament. The first two are here. And if you look up the word Lord of hosts, Yahweh Shabot. In the Hebrew, it means he is in charge of armies. And I love to get over, and I did this week. I love to go on over sometimes and read some of the final chapters of Revelation where God cut some of those armies loose. He's not low on resources, friend. I tell you, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this world. I think probably I have a lot of friends that would have thought that, well, after the Roe Ro versus Wade thing this week, Pastor Mike will have to take two weeks vacation to just get his voice back from shouting. It has been a big issue for me. It still is, you can tell. But something's happened over the years of me praying that one day that would no longer be at least a constitutional right. It actually never, ever was. They just recognized that this week. But something's happened over the years of praying for things like that. I've begun to realize more and more any faith you put in courts and politicians and presidents it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Pray to God. God can change things. God can change things. I already know what the governor of this state's going to do about it. We got to quit electing people like that. You understand what I'm saying? Keep voting for people that, that are willing to kill unborn children. We're going to kill unborn children. I know I'm not even supposed to say that, but I'm just telling you. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? I would just say this, though. Oh, I vote. I think it's a right and a privilege as a citizen. 
I'm going to keep on doing that. And I might even post things from time to time that get on somebody's nerves. I don't know. I'd love to tell you I never post anything just to get on people's nerves, but then I'd have to repent a lie. But I will tell you something God's taught me over the years. He's sovereign. He's the one in charge. I won't be here to rant and rave throughout the lives of my grandchildren. They're going to have to grow up in a world. Because one day God's going to call Papa home. And I'll have grandchildren and great-grandchildren going to have to grow up in a world without me if God tarries his coming. I won't be there to hoop and holler about it. But God will. We have to put our faith and our trust in the Lord. Let's teach our children those things about God. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, God, for creating us. We thank you, Lord, for the purpose you gave us in life, for the meaning that we find in you, Lord. We ask you now, Father, to help us to be a light in this darkness, God. We know we live in a sinful, fallen world, but I pray, God, that you'd help us to be a light in this world. And I pray right now for every person here, especially the youth, God, and especially for the children who are not even in here now, God, I pray that you would help all of them to see that you have a plan and a purpose for their life, God. You already know who you want them to marry. You know where they need to go to college. You know what you're calling them to do in their life, Lord. And every one of them have a calling, God. I pray, Father, that you would help us as the adults to help them to see that, Lord. Help us to live out the calling that you have brought in our lives, God, so they would understand how important that is. Help them to see in our lives that we've made it a priority, God. We thank you, Lord, for loving us like you do, for hearing us when we pray. God, we've never asked you for anything that would put you in a bind or get you in a hurry. We know that. So I just thank you, Father, for listening to us. When we cry out in fear, when we worry about things, Lord, that we should have, we should have ignored years ago, Lord, sometimes things scare us and frighten us that shouldn't. Lord, I pray that you'll just help us. Thank you, God, for not only being the creator of this universe, but also being a God who hears Thank you, dear Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.